Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. Please join me in the prayer that you will find uh, printed in your bulletin and let us rise and after that sing our hymn. <clears throat> Please join our hearts and voices. Lord God, Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep them steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort them in all temptations Defend them against all enemies of your word, and give Christ's church militant your saving peace through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. reading for today is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, sometimes called the Evangelist of the Old Testament, the 25th chapter, verses 6 and 7. In this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people, 
and the veil that is spread over all nations. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Please be seated. On Saturday, our nation celebrated a very muted version of Halloween. Halloween has kind of developed over the years as a, an interesting holiday, I guess you would say. Uh, it actually has some roots and connections back to something that uh, the church did many years ago that became known as All Souls Day, or the Day of the Dead. The night before November 1st, so November 1st yesterday was All Saints Day. And the night before that, people in Europe oftentimes would take candles and go sit at the gravesides of of their loved ones who had passed away. Sometimes they'd bring musical instruments and music along and they would sit and sing hymns. And um, for many people, however, a lot of superstitions developed around All Souls Day. And quite often, as the, as the teaching of purgatory began to rise in the church by the Middle Ages, 1300 certainly, there were a lot of weird superstitious ideas often connected with All Souls Day or the Day of the Dead. And so when the Reformation came along, uh, many of those involved in the Reformation realized this maybe was not a festival to keep in the church. But this, the festival we celebrated yesterday, All Saints Day, that the church chose to keep because it is a wonderful focus on those who are now in heaven. And the idea of All Saints Day was not only to remember those who have gone before us in the faith who loved Christ as their Savior and by faith in him are now enjoying heaven. It not only was that, but it was to be an inspiration and a motivation for you on this side of heaven to desire to want to get there and to be with those loved ones once again. Quite often, mountains are very significant in the Bible. We think about the mountain where Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. We think of Mount Sinai where uh, God gave the, the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. Think about Mount Carmel where Elijah had the duel with the prophets of Baal. Or even the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. You can do Bible studies just on all the important mountains in the Bible. There's also another interesting mountain mentioned, the Mount of Transfiguration. Some believe it was the mount known as Mount Tabor, Mount Tabor today, just uh, not maybe 20, 30 miles south of Jesus' hometown. And we're told that on that mountain, before Jesus went to Jerusalem to suffer his death for us, that Jesus went up and he was transfigured. His face shone like the sun. Must have been quite, a, quite an impressive sight. And what's interesting on that mountain is you have the meeting between the members of the church militant on earth and the members of the church triumphant who are now in heaven. You've got Moses and Elijah who have already been glorified, who now by faith are in heaven, and you've got Peter and James and John here on the earth still with Christ in his ministry with many years ahead of them in their life. It's interesting at that great meeting between those who are in the uh, church that's already glorified in heaven, the church triumphant, and those who are in the church militant, those who are still fighting the gift of faith. The difference between how they respond to the glory of Christ. We're told that Moses and Elijah could stand and, and 
converse easily with Jesus without any fear in their hearts at all. They themselves already now being glorified. But the other disciples who are still in this life are cowering in fear. They drop with their faces to the ground. They're terrified to be in the presence of the, of the glorified Christ. And yet both groups are gathered around him. Both, both of these groups are with Christ and focused on what a tremendous Savior he has come to be for us. The text in front of us from Isaiah speaks of another mountain. It's a mountain that we often call Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the small mountain in Jerusalem where the temple sits, up on what's called the Temple Mount. And God would often use this expression, Mount Zion, as a way of describing his church of believers, especially those who are still here in this life in the church militant. His church of believers, his faithful who hold on to Christ and trust in him, he often refers to them as Mount Zion. And isn't it interesting that that's where the temple is, where God comes to dwell with us. The temple which was, in a sense, representative of Christ himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And God now uses that, that label of that mountain where the temple sits to speak about you and me as believers in his church because he dwells with us through his word and sacraments. Our reading says that on the final day, God will destroy on this mount the surface of the covering cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. Right now, in this world, as we've seen especially in the last year, we can get sometimes caught up in all the petty differences that there are between us in this life. It might be racial differences. It might be differences of where we grew up or how we speak or some of our customs and things. And on the final day, all of those differences are going to melt away because they're really so irrelevant. Notice what Isaiah writes about the church of believers. He says, the Lord of hosts on that day will make for all peoples a feast. People from all different nations, all around the world, all different nationalities and backgrounds, all different skin colors, all different languages, all of that's irrelevant. They're going to come from all around the world, from east and the west, to sit at the Feast of Salvation with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the blessed. A day of wonderful salvation. Think of, think of what it's going to be when, when believers who we've never met in this world come to sit together with, with us at that tremendous feast. Sometimes easy to forget that. My grandpa used to tell a story. He was a pastor that he was on a train once riding between Chicago and Minneapolis. He was going to a pastor's conference, and he and three other pastors were sitting at a little table on the, the dining car of the train and having lunch. And apparently there was a young man who was cleaning tables, kind of bussing tables nearby. And he had something kind of different looking about his face. And these four pastors jokingly made some comments about this young man and in a sense made fun of him in their little group. And their meal came, and they bowed their head and said their prayer. And about 10 minutes later, this young man came over and, and knelt down into their table and looked at all of them quietly and said, it is so wonderful to see well fellow Christians giving thanks to God for their food. And my grandpa said, you could have stuck a knife in all of us. 
How often have we possibly thought or said or treated somebody in a way that was, was really not representative of our calling to heaven? And we may find out someday that very person will be sitting by us at the Feast of Salvation. What a tremendous day it will be that when God will take all of us washed clean of our sins because of Christ, dressed in the robe of his righteousness, and, and give us a special seat there at that wonderful feast. Isaiah describes it this way, that it's a mysterious veil that's on us right now because we can't really see who the real true believers are, and we can't see who God is. We can't see heaven yet. We're living under this kind of sheet or veil, and God is going to lift all of that off of us when that final day finally comes. And we will see then, not only God face to face, we will see the una sancta, the Latin term for the one holy Christian church of all the true real believers in Christ who hold on to him alone and the salvation he came to win for us by his death on the cross. And we will see him likewise face to face. What's the most perfect age that you can be? Hey, you're in it, right? A lot of people wish they could go back to being college age. Not everybody, but what's the most perfect age? I'll tell you it's not 62. I can tell you that. What is the most perfect stage of life for your body physically to go through? My dad is 94 years old, and for the past 20 years, he's been telling me it's not fun to get old. Johann Gerhardt, a great Lutheran theologian, said this, especially to young people. He said, let your desires ascend to that blessed place where there is perpetual youth without infirmities of old age, where life shall never more be followed by death. Listen to what Isaiah says again. The Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of, of, faith, uh, of things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. The best meal I've ever had was at a hotel at the bottom end of the Dead Sea. It's on a trip to Israel for Bethany. I have never seen so much magnificent food and had such a spread in front of me to eat from. One of my friends sat there with me and we took our plates back to the table and sat down. He was a pastor from an Indian reservation down in Arizona and he said to me, I didn't know anything like this could exist on this side of heaven. Just think of what the feast of heaven is going to be like. Just think of the kind of food you're going to get to eat in heaven. Just think of the, the feeling of joy that you're going to get to have forever because of what your Savior has done for you. And Isaiah includes one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. The Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Nothing in the future after we get to heaven will have any reason to give us a reason to cry. Live for that. Amen. And now may the triune God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Go in peace. Amen.